All right, Jody Vance in for Mike Smith and looking forward to this next 30 minutes as we bring in Keith Baldry. It is Baldry's Beat, Global BC's Legislative Bureau Chief. Hey, Keith. Hello, Jody. We are going heavy as directed on this port strike. I've got a number of clips lined up here just to set the table for our listeners, and then we're going to open up phones. I'm dying to hear what your take is on this. But let's start with our colleague at Global BC, Grace Key. Uh, here's just a snippet of her report on uh, on what is transpiring here with the port workers and longshoremen strike. The International Longshore and Warehouse Union did not take any questions, but they were clearly frustrated with the process of the negotiations. Both sides headed back to the bargaining table Sunday morning after an overnight break following 33 consecutive hours of negotiations. Some 7,400 longshore workers walked off the job on Canada Day. The potential economic impacts can be significant if this is dragged out. The Port Authority is saying $1 of every $3 of Canada's trade in goods outside of North America America moves through the Port of Vancouver, so any disruption to port operations has a significant impact globally and on Canadians. Lots of impact, and the CFIB says the government will need to step in. The federal government will have no choice but to introduce a back-to-work legislation if this continues for a few more days. Right. And then one more clip here, Keith. We've got uh, Rob Ashton, ILWU president, on how the deal actually needs to be reached at the table. The federal government must stay out of our business. If the BCMEA gets their way, and their way is to let the government make this collective agreement for them, there will never be labor peace on the waterfront. This deal must be reached at the collective bargaining table with the ILW Canada Longshore Division and the BCMEA. All right, so table set, Keith Baldry. What do you see playing out here? I see government intervention playing out because I think it's clear from the statements from both sides yesterday, the employer saying there's no point in talking anymore. The union putting out a statement just after 6 o'clock last night uh, accusing the Employers Association of sabotage. My experience, when you get into that level of rhetoric from both sides, um, Mm. the chance of a negotiated settlement seems to be very remote. Now, we saw the Trudeau government legislating into a strike in the Port of Montreal a number of years ago. Um, There have been legislative ends to other port strikes. There's nothing quite like a port strike. As Grace pointed out in in her report, uh, the effect on the economy is far greater than pretty well any other strike imaginable because of the uh, the amount of goods literally that become frozen and economic activity that becomes frozen because of a port strike. There was a fascinating book, book published a number of years ago by British journalist Rose George called 90% of Everything. And she spent a year on container ships. And the title refers to 90% of everything you consume at some point comes through a container ship. Uh, those are the containers that are loaded on uh, on to the port and go out of the port. And remember, uh, mm-hmm. two years ago, remember we had that container ship um, hit the rocks over here. Yeah, the Everly. Yeah. And you oh, saw oh, the, yeah. right. the wide number of goods that suddenly f- were floating around the ocean. Everything from lawnmowers to pianos to mm-hmm. fridges to anything. You have 90% of everything you use, all your clothes come through a container ship. Much of your food comes through a container ship. I did a piece on global um, 
last night just pointed out the number, the amount of goods that come through container ships. 700,000 tons of food are loaded, offloaded in Vancouver ports a year. 600,000 tons of food go out of Vancouver ports a year. So this is a, a catastrophic, catastrophic impact on the supply chain and a huge impact on the economy because there's so many firms, so many companies that depend on parts that need to be replaced or need to build things. And those parts come through container ships. And then on top of that, you throw in the, the huge um, exports, which are grain, oil, uh, and, and coal, and other minerals. Yeah. Those are huge amounts of, of uh, product that are now basically frozen. So I don't think the government's going to let this drag on too much longer. It would have to be an emergency recall of Parliament, but I wouldn't be surprised if that happens as early as next week. So they don't go binding arbitration first? They would just go back to work legislation? You know? I think it, it, employers are reluctant to get into binding arbitration. And I think one of the problems in this, or one of the key figures in this dispute, and Jazz Johal had a good segment on this on his show yesterday, is it, it, quite apart from wages and these types of things, even contracting out, it seems to be one of the issues that the union has here uh, is not wages, because according to the employer, the average wage is $136,000 a year. So, you know, I'm not sure, you know, uh, haggling over a 3% increase is really what this is about. I think it's about automation. And we're seeing mm-hmm. other ports go to much more automation, which means the loss of jobs. And I think that's what is evidently at the heart of this dispute is the union desperately trying to hang on to actual jobs rather than increasing pay, which is always at the table. But I think it's this rise of automation in ports where you're seeing around the world fewer and fewer jobs actually being um, required as more and more machines are required. It's not just um, it's not just ports. Uh, mills now. Uh, Canfor's got a mill. You know, big forest company in BC. I worked in a mill. There was lots of people working in a the mill. They've got a mill in Sweden that has almost very few employees actually working. Uh, much of it is done by machines. And this is an ongoing debate in the workplace. How much is going to be done through automation? How many through human labor? And I think that's at the heart of the dispute. Uh, when the part dispute, which is why I think the two sides are so far apart. You don't see this type of of language used by both sides when it comes when it's an issue about wages this is something yeah. much more profound and i think that's why the union's dug in its heels here one of the things keith that that john Kerry, who's the president of the freight management association said just a little earlier on the show we had him on at uh, 9 15 and he referenced something that i hadn't thought about um but he certainly has because everybody's got a plan b if you're shipping through one port or in on via one avenue, you have a plan B if something disrupts that, right? I mean, we've mm-hmm. seen disruptions, whether it's, you know, flooding or wildfires or, you know, weather-related whatever, or even blockades at our border. Um, he brought up the fact that the the culmination of all of those things I just mentioned add up to disruptions in international industry looking at our ports and saying, you know what, maybe we will go through Tacoma. Maybe yeah. we'll just move to there because it's more reliable. So our reputation also at play here. That Exactly. And that's always been an issue with Vancouver. Seattle and Tacoma are right next door. Uh, and in terms of distance for a ship, it's really not a big difference. It's not like they have to yeah. go to, to Asia to offload their, their cargo. So this, this has been raised before that anytime there's a disruption – uh, in Vancouver, it can spill over business that just permanently disappears and goes to other ports. And that's the danger here as well. Um, 
It was interesting. <clears throat> Again, the um, Vancouver's efficiency is, as a port is amongst the the lowest in the entire world. I mean, I was actually taken aback when really? the first uh, number we got was 7,000 employees. Like 7,000 employees work at the ports of, of the, in the port of Vancouver. That strikes me as a very large number, and I certainly think it would probably be much greater than than other uh, other ports. For example. Um, uh, the Long Beach port in California, one of the biggest in the world, which is which is uh, right next to Los Angeles, huge uh, port. It was fully automated a couple years ago, and now that puts 600 longshoremen out of work at that one port alone. And I think that's literally what we're probably talking about in this situation. If the port moves into more contracting out, which is one of the big issues as well, and more automation, it will mean the loss of a bunch of jobs currently filled by people who are members of that union. And full disclosure here, my grandfather was a longshoreman on North Vancouver and was an official in that union back in the 50s and 60s. So there is some family history there. Jody Vanson for Mike Smith. It is Baldry's Beat. Global BC's Legislative Bureau Chief Keith Baldry here. And we are sticking to the huge story around the strike at BC ports, BC port workers and longshoremen uh, cutting off talks on strike here. It's uh, it's a bit of a stalemate with some pretty serious back and forth through the media, some statements being made that that have... Uh, standing here wondering what will happen next. And Keith, we're opening up the phones here. 604-280-9898, star 9898 is a free call. And we're going to start with Trevor in Langley. Trevor, you're a longshoreman? Yes, I am. Hello. Hello. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, I just want to start out quickly. Um, I'm just a part of a uh, union, Local 502. I do not speak for the union. Like, I'm not a media representative, so this is just personal experience. Mm-hmm. Great. What, what are your thoughts? Um, just uh, just some of the big things, just kind of listening to a lot of media and stuff. I just want to point out and make sure that, you know, listeners understand um, there's a lot of talking heads kind of coming on, wishing uh, weighing in on the issue, and a lot of the people, longshoremen, are not just sitting around, but we are actually going out and striking, not just kind of you know, sitting in a cushy job, being able to just sit back. Oh, yeah, I'll talk in an interview. Yeah. If that, and just just saying if that I don't know if that makes sense. Um, well, we're going uh, we're it, we're going by what your union uh, leaders are saying and what what the association is saying, and so both have amplified. Um, I think uh, the language from both sides uh, yesterday marked a new. Uh, landmark in this dispute, where they had been at the table for, I think, what was it, Jody, 33 hours straight or something? There have been yes. marathon negotiations. The employer said there's no use in talking anymore, Then the, um, which basically says that's their line in the sand. Then the union puts out a statement last night that's pretty edgy in its language, accusing the association of sabotage and uh, them uh, wondering if they're trying to vilify the union. So when you use words like sabotage, vilify, uh, and, the, and the employer using similar language when it comes to but it's pointless even talking anymore. I think that's a new level of um, uh, of the dispute Stalemate. that we haven't seen, uh, yeah. even when they hit the picket line. It was still room for optimism when the picket line, because right, talks were continuing. Now when you got both sides seem to be entrenched in their positions, it does seem that the odds of a negotiated settlement seem to be very low right now. Oh, yeah, no, Trevor, I, any, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, sorry? No, I was just going to say, Trevor, any thoughts on that? <sighs> 
it's, uh, it, that I'll admit is above my pay grade. I have full co- uh, confidence in the bargaining, uh, the ILWU bargaining committee. Um, I think they're just, they'll be looking at a lot of history. Like, um, Keith, you said that your grandfather was a longshoreman? Yes, he was. Yeah, so he, he would likely know um, or have been in around the time we, uh, before in the 1950s, 60s, there were many more longshoremen across uh, the West Coast of North America, but with the introduction of containers, we lost thousands, if not tens of thousands of jobs. But that was kind of in the um, idea that we would be able to con- uh, retain good jobs for those that were left. And now there's a good argument to be said that we're afraid of that automation that might cut out more. Yeah, no, I think I think you're absolutely right, Trevor. It seems to be the heart of the dispute. It's not about wages and benefits. I think it is about job displacement, whether it's contracting out or automation. Uh, both lead to a reduction in jobs, which is why I think the union has basically drawn a line in the sand here that, um, you know, you can give a 10% raise, but if that results in a 30% reduction in your workforce, and I'm not saying that's what the number is, but you can just see from a union perspective why they would not give in on that. Right. Oh, right. absolutely. Important. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Oh, just uh, just to point out the other thing too was um, the Port of Vancouver put out their. Uh, I'm, I'm not going. I'm just paraphrasing their expenses report. I believe it was last year or the year before, and they were saying claiming a million dollar loss. But when you look at the increase of wages for longshoremen versus their own personal admin, they claim we were up 11 percent. I don't know if that was uh, inflation or just more people, but their admin was 30 percent. Like, and so they're kind of you know pointing at us for possibly jobs, but, you know, they're increasing their own jobs. Interesting point. Although I think the employer would turn around, as is usually the case when any time the administration costs come in, that there's far more union members than there are administrators. And so even a bigger increase to the admin costs is not, on a percentage basis, is not going to be greater than the cost uh, for the bargaining unit. But I, I don't think, Trevor, that, I don't think that really comes up in talks anyways. Yeah, Trevor, I'm going to send you back to your radio. Thank you very much for taking the time to call. We've got Thanks, a lot sir. of people standing by on the phone lines. Let's go to Chris in Chilliwack. Thanks for waiting, Chris. You're on. Good morning, Jody and Keith. Um, I work uh, for a business uh, where we import uh, a lot of uh, product from Europe and from Asia. And uh, for the last number of years, over the last four or five, we actually are looking for alternate solutions to Vancouver just because of the unreliability, not just the union, but blockades and other issues and we just can't we can't serve our customers if we haven't got a reliable source and then the other comment i would like to make is uh regarding the union leaders uh um, um, comment that um, their employers uh, the average wage at 136 or whatever it was per year that the that the uh, employees should share in the in the wealth um, i disagree completely uh, an employer takes all the risk and unless the employee is willing to take the downside when they lose money uh, which I don't think would ever fly uh, I think it's ridiculous to tie wages to profits um, if they're making $136,000 a year thanks thanks Thanks, Chris Chris. it's interesting Chris's point about seeking other ways to get goods rather than the port of Vancouver to your Mm -hmm. earlier point Jody does this cause more people to look at Seattle and Tacoma uh, and across a border truck access rather than um, right. the port. But again, you know, you go back to the blockades. We had blockades at the border as well, which also yeah. upset the food um, <clears throat> supply chain. It wasn't just about ports, but um, 
it's again, a national reputation issue, right? Like that's yes. where the government might use that to activate and say, listen, we don't we understand that this is a labor dispute here, but it's a greater issue for us us as a country. Well, the, the, port, the port dispute reaches all the way back east. I mean, this affects yeah. this affects the prairie grain shipments. It yeah, affects exactly. coal. It affects uh, fertilizers, a huge um, um, uh, item that flows through the port of Vancouver. Uh, potash from Saskatchewan. This is a national so economic much. crisis, potentially. 